0: Marketing um, is that persuasive attempt to convince people that they need to buy into goods and services. Now, companies will spend an enormous amount of money in their marketing, especially when they're trying to launch a new product or they're trying to launch a new service. And typically, when they are launching something new like that, one of the techniques they have is a a promotional event. And they have a promotional event because they want to gather a crowd of people, they want to get the media's attention, and they want to create excitement and enthusiasm. Unfortunately, sometimes those events do not come off like people wanted them to. For example, you may know just a couple of years ago, cell phone manufacturer LG introduced one of their new phones and they planned a promotional event that literally would be all the way around the whole world in different time zones at different times. The promotional event involved not only introducing the phone, but it also had a number of helium-filled balloons, a few of which, at every site, had a free voucher inside for one of the new phones. So the creative idea by somebody was to release the balloons at the event and then have the crowd scatter chasing the balloons all across the city. Well, some gadget fans who were inflamed by techno-lust brought BB guns to the event, and when the balloons were released, they started shooting. Well... The crowd, was at at, at the first event, was sprayed with all of these BBs being wildly shot. Twenty people were hurt bad enough. They had to be taken to the hospital. LG saw what was happening, apologized, canceled all the rest of the international balloon events, and ended up paying the medical expenses for everybody that ended up going to the hospital. So obviously that company did not get the results they wanted from that promotional event. Now, in Luke chapter 2, the night that Jesus was born, it's not out of the range of our imagination to realize that a marketing plan was being staged here. An angel came to make sure that the good news got out. Just like LG wanted their new phone to be good news and get that word out. So the angel came and his exact words in verse 10 that were read just a moment ago by Brandon, was, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, we, we, we know that verse so well, but we need to break down a couple of things. First of all, news. That is information that is new to us. In other words, it's something we've not previously known anything about. That's why it's called news. But it's linked with the other word, good. So this... Information is not only new to us, it's positive, it's, it's wonderful. It's supposed to bring a smile to our face. And as the angel said, the response literally that we should have to hearing it is great joy. Okay, so how did this promotional event turn out? Was it a flop or did it go well? Did it gather a crowd? Uh, did it create excitement and enthusiasm? Um, was there a groundswell of of joy that swept the nation was the front-page article in the Jerusalem Tribune the next day uh, describing all of the events. Well, look in Luke chapter 2 with us. Let's look at these verses that were read, verse 8 down to verse 15. Again, it's a scene that's very familiar to us, isn't it? Let me just remind us of some facts. It's nighttime. there's a group of shepherds that are sitting around a campfire. They're probably knocking down a couple of wineskins together. And you know what? Whenever men, men, gather around a campfire, it is almost predictable what's going to happen. So in the early evening, there's probably some good-natured joking and teasing that goes on between the guys. Because these are rough men. These are guys that work, though, side by side with each other. Typically, when men get together around a campfire, there's scratching of various body parts, and there's a whole lot of spitting that's going on. Then comes the swapping of lies, uh, as each tries to outdo the other in telling of wild animals they've fought, of brutal weather they've endured, of long, treacherous, rugged miles that they have tra- that they've gone through in order to search for good grazing for their sheep. Yeah, that's that's what happens in the early evening. How about later on, though, as the evening begins to deepen? Well, typically around a campfire with guys, the conversation begins to sputter to silence. Everyone's content just to kind of stare into the glowing embers of the fire. Oh, sure, someone might make a sarcastic political joke about Herod, uh, but it doesn't give much of a response, uh, other than maybe just a few muffled chuckles. You see, every shepherd is wrapped up in their blanket and their ears are attuned to the night sounds. You see, they're shepherds, which means they're going to lose some sleep in order that they don't lose any sheep. That's the setting. And that's once everything is in place when God pulls the trigger. Now, the problem is we know the story too well. So in our familiarity with it, we lose a fascination that we should have with this. Because the way that Luke describes the tales of this event, it should literally every time make us shake our heads in amazement. He writes it in such a way that those who read this should be shocked at how the story just plays its way out. Because from a human perspective, a human perspective, this is not the way that good news should get out. In fact, it's all wrong from a human perspective. I mean, this looks like a botched marketing plan that somebody did not think through very well. I mean, after all, something wonderful and wild has just happened. But did you consider whoever picked this audience was not thinking? Shepherds are the first ones to know. I mean, get serious These guys are uneducated, minimum wage, good old boys. Why would God start with them? Or what about the rural setting here? Whose idea was that? I mean, this should have been staged up in the capital, up in Jerusalem, where the shakers and movers and the opinion makers could know what was going on from God first. And then what about the timing of all of this? That's all messed up. I mean, did anybody think through what time zone Bethlehem was in before this whole thing went operational? I mean, this thing is in the middle of the night. That means that your target audience is asleep. And yet, in God's eyes, this is perfect. Because even though it's initially puzzling to us why God chose the specific who, when, and where we would never have orchestrated it that way. Yet there's good reasons why the shepherds were the first ones to welcome the Christ child into our world. What's that reason? God cares about accessibility and connectivity. See, so in other words, He doesn't want our attitude toward Jesus to be like our attitude towards a celebrity. Pick any celebrity that that can pop into your mind real quickly. Oh yeah, you know who they are. You know who they are because you may see their picture on the magazine cover in the checkout line as you're getting out of the store. Or you've seen them on an award show on television, but you realize, I never ever have an opportunity to spend time with them. Yet the setting here in Luke 2 shows that God wants us to have a relationship with his son that is as warm and natural as walking through the front door of your very best friend. Second, or in addition, the setting of the story also reveals that God doesn't want his son, Jesus Christ, to be like an object in a museum, an object that's famous and well-known, but only accessible on certain days and between certain hours. And you can't get close because there are ropes that are are keeping you from from getting too close. And by heaven's sake, don't touch. And no flash photography, please. See, when Jesus arrived on that first Christmas, the setting was perfect. For God wanted his son to be welcomed into our world. Not somebody else's world. Our world. And that's the truth even for today. The reason Luke 2, verse 8 through verse 15, describes the scene that we have is because God wants each one of us, even now, to welcome Jesus into the mess, the confusion, and the chaos that is our world, that we're living right now. And that's why packed into these few verses are seven powerful details to point out how we are, each of us here this morning, to engage into the story. Each detail helps us welcome, or maybe say it in a different way, to invite Jesus into our world. And these details might initially puzzle us because it looks like it's so wrong, but it was actually done with a real purpose for our sakes. So let's look at these seven together. First, detail number one. You ever ask the question, why were the shepherds really involved? Look at verse 8, look at verse 15. Why were the shepherds involved? Because God came to enter into the lives of the average working guy who is just trying to be faithful day after day after day. He's not seeing his job as a, something to leverage in order to promote his career. No, Jesus comes to the world of those who are living in dead-end jobs. And they realize they're living in a dead-end job, but they know at least they've got a job. Even if it is working for somebody else. Even if it is managing their resources. See, Jesus comes to those whose life is dominated by the repetition of the routine. Shepherds were the first ones to hear the good news of great joy. Because for all generations, Jesus wants to be welcomed by those who's, who live in the world of what's normal, what's average, what's routine, not necessarily the world of notoriety, fame, and bling. <laughs> That's why the shepherds were involved. In fact, it's interesting how Paul picks up on this aspect of God's heart in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 26. Paul writes and says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. He's he's talking about shepherds here. Even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's why shepherds were involved, because that's for so many of us. That's our world, too. Look at the second puzzling detail back in Luke 2. Why was the message given in nearby fields at night? Verse 8. Because Christ came to those who feel like the tone of their life is dark. He comes to those who find it hard not only to see things clearly, but the darkness makes them feel like their days are just incredibly lonely. And the darkness of their life brings breeds an insecurity as the night, they realize, has its own hazards. Each of their nights has its own threat. So they find it hard to go to sleep at night because they're so worried about protecting what's theirs. And the darkness of these fields here in Luke 2 stands in contrast to the city that's over there. You see, over there, the shepherds see the lights of Bethlehem. Over there, the shepherds know is where everybody else is. And so this dark light contrast that we have going on in this passage is a strong indicator to those shepherds were outsiders. We get to look on but we never get to enjoy the life that everybody else gets to enjoy. And that's why the good news of great joy was first given to those living in the fields nearby at night because God, Jesus wants to be welcomed by those who live in that kind of a world. Consider what 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us. You are a chosen people royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Or how about what Jesus said in John 8, chapter 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or he said something else in John 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. The message came to shepherds. Then the shepherds also were someplace where the message came at night. Because so many of us live in those kinds of worlds. Look at the third detail. Verse 10. Why was the message... Good news of great joy? Because Jesus comes to those who are exhausted because their life is hard. He comes to those who are sad at the constant news that they hear of of hunger and anger and abuse and disaster, and they are personally tired of being hungry, angry, abused, and broken. And Jesus comes to people who not only wonder where their life is going, but they're also wondering, is there a God out there who knows where my life is going? And if he knows, does he even care? See, Jesus comes to those who've got deep secrets. Secrets that they would rather not face or think about, because the memories of those things bring a sense of shame, bring a sense of guilt up inside. And that leaves then an embarrassment. It leaves them feeling, I don't know what to do with this. And the good news of great joy from heaven comes to people who've got regrets and could use some really good news. And Jesus wants to be welcomed into the world of those of us who are living like that. And that's why when Jesus was on earth, he reached back into the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, and said, this speaks of me. And he quotes the prophet who says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See how these details start to fit together. Why the shepherds were involved, why the message came to those living in nearby fields at night, and the, why this message was great news of great joy, because all of this is this perfect setting that God created. Okay, we still have a few more to go, though. How about the fourth detail? Why was this news for all the people? And again, if you notice in verse 10, the emphasis is on the word all In other words, not for a select few, not for just a privileged group. Jesus came especially for those of us who feel left out and we feel marginalized at this time. He comes to those of us who struggle with the way the world divides everybody into haves and have-nots. And this is good news. For those of us who feel and have come to believe that the good stuff really is is only for the educated or the religious or the well-off or the celebrity or the powerful or the privileged, but it's really not for me. No, Jesus wants to be welcomed by those who live in that kind of world where we just so desperately want to belong, we want to be accepted, we want to be included. That's our world. Jesus says, that's who I came for. Again, Paul mentions all this back back in 1 Corinthians again. Chapter 1, verse 20. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. To save those who believe. Or how about what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 11. He said, Father, I praise you. You're Lord of heaven and earth. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. This good news of great joy is for everyone. No one's excluded." And by the way, that those, those words by Jesus in Matthew 11 about it's for little kids transitions us then to the fifth detail of that amazing night. And that is, why did it involve a baby being born? Well, think about it. A newborn. Helpless. Vulnerable. Completely dependent. And how many of us Recently, even as adults, have run into a situation that makes us on the inside feel like we are a kid all over again. Something occurred, and suddenly we realize how vulnerable we really are, how helpless we really are, how desperately dependent we really are. Why? Because we live in a world where we recognize we don't have any position. We don't have any status. We don't have any prominence. We're not networked. I mean, no one would even care if I had a social media presence. Let alone follow us or like us if we posted something on Facebook. See, Jesus wants to be welcomed by those who live in that kind of world. Like he said, Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 18, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Or consider his descriptions in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How about the sixth detail? How about verse 12? Why did the baby's life begin in a manger? Well, who here this morning is living a manger-like existence. Each day is a walk through a bunch of manure with its smells and its flies. Yeah, our life, it's its its no carefully staged showcase. We don't walk around in a glow, but rather we walk among the piles of stuff that stinks. Yeah. Some of you know, you understand, you're living a manger-like experience, a life. Because you know that most of what you do is done behind the scenes. It's, it's out, of the, out of the way. You're not in the mainstream. You're not in the spotlight. Your life feels like it's being held together by bailing wire and duct tape. It's a makeshift affair. It has no sense of permanence to it. And Jesus wants to be welcomed by those who live in that kind of world. It happened even in Jesus' life when he was older. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. He was a compelling individual. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He understands those who live in a manger-like life. But the most important one is detail number seven. Why is it important that this baby be the Savior? Now, I mentioned this a little bit, or I mentioned something about this last Sunday, To talk about Jesus and use the word Savior assumes that someone needs to be saved, someone needs to be rescued, someone needs to be delivered, and they can't do it themselves. So this baby is important as Savior for those who recognize that something down deep is out of control and they feel powerless with it. This baby as Savior is important for those who know that something in their heart is broken and they can't fix it. This baby is important for those who recognize something in their spirit is wounded and they need a healing. That This baby speaks to those who have wandered off and they don't know how to come home. See, these are the kind of people right here among us. We're some of these people who recognize that there are hospitals out there with, where, that can help the hurting physically, that there are mental health counselors out there that can be of assistance to those who are struggling to think clearly, that they know that there are financial advisors out there who can help those with financial problems, but what they want to know is where do I go when the problem is within my heart. Jesus wants to be welcomed by those who outwardly look good, but know that something is or has died on the inside. And he's to be welcomed as a rescuer who can take care of the broken, the wounded, and the wandering heart. Wow. Seven pretty powerful details from that story, aren't they? Of why every single one of us in this room, if not for one reason, for maybe most of those seven, have the ability to welcome Jesus right into our world for the first time this morning or maybe once again this morning. And every one of these details we just looked at is intended to help restore our sense of awe about Christmas. It's it's there to strengthen our sense of hope about what God is doing as to assure us that through these events Jesus is looking to be welcomed into your world my world that is the incredible joy and awe of christmas let's pray together father we traffic so much in these areas and yet so easily Lose the details. We lose the awe. We lose the personalness of the story that is for each one of us. But that's how you want us to take it. We sing, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see Hail the incarnate deity Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. But we want that to be our our heart's desire this morning, to welcome you into our world as our personal Emmanuel. Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. Father, thank you how these details just blow wide open this Christmas story to make us realize who you came for why you came and why you came when you did because every single one of us in this room needs you we desperately need you and so thank you for coming for us Lord that's our worship, that's our praise that's the glory we want to give you this morning on this Christmas Eve day Praise you for it all in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.